Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of The Delicious Podcast was uploaded on the 28th of September, 2016. To hear more episodes, visit deliciousmagazine.co.uk forward slash dish. We were so impressed by your, your fish. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh. You know, this morning we brought some, some of the dry cows off the cell and we were sta- I was standing in the middle of the road and it started to pour down. I was thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? <laughs> so that's really good news. That really makes it worth it. <laughs> Welcome to Delicious Magazine's October podcast. I'm Julie Smith and this month it's all about the Delicious Produce Awards. The magazine's very first set of gongs for the best food in the land. From dairy farmers to artisan bakers, sausage makers, shellfish, chicken and charcuterie producers, we've found the top talent. And in this edition of the podcast, we'll tell you how we did it. We also hear from Antonio Carluccio on why the UK is trailing behind the rest of Europe. And we meet a hedge witch who reminds us how to forage for our own food. But first, to the inaugural Delicious Magazine Produce Awards. You can read all about the winners in the October edition of the magazine. But let's hear from the judges. Pro Leith, then Sophie Grigson, Theo Randall and Ian Wilde from Westminster Catering College on why we need these awards. Well, I'm delighted with it because it's for magazine. It'll get to an awful lot of people. And the more customers want the right product, ethical products, delicious products, better for the producers. The quality of the produce made in the UK today is extraordinary and what's interesting is I think that uh, consumers are beginning to recognise that as well and are buying more and more of it. There's such great quality in produce today um, coming from the UK and I think it, there's so many brilliant artisan producers creating such wonderful things and going back to old traditions is such a, a wonderful thing because we have such great produce in this country in general. I think these the delicious produce awards are, are, are an essential part of the business because we, particularly for our college, the youngsters have a thirst for knowledge. So your magazine and any publication that carries better, more interesting products is only good for the future of the business because we're hopefully producing the chefs of the future. Delicious editor Karen Barnes says it's about telling the stories of unsung heroes. It's something we, the magazine has been wanting to do for a long time because a big focus for Delicious is championing producers. Britain used to be the laughing stock of Europe in terms of its food and now we are celebrated. 
there are cheese makers who are maybe one person working on their own in a dairy cutting the curds and making fantastic cheeses that become award-winning and yet a lot of people don't know that those cheeses or those artisans exist we champion those people in the pages of delicious regularly and we like to focus on seasonal produce um, but the produce awards are go beyond that because we look at the stories of those producers and see how they do what they do what are the passions that make them do it why do they care so much about the food from the land and the sea and select the very best from those and taste the produce and that produce and those produce of the people we're celebrating through the awards in this issue. Susan Lowe is the deputy editor of Delicious and was the brains behind the year-long process of putting the awards together. She explains how the team scoured the country for the best talent. The first round of judging was regional. We divided the country up into nine separate regions. We had very strict criteria that we had from the beginning that people who were nominated knew about in advance. So the judges were there to make sure that everything was done um, fairly, squarely and equally across all the regions because they were different teams. But we wanted to make sure that everyone was conforming to, you know, looking for the exact exact same thing so that we would end up with um, um, a, a list that was representative from each of the regions, but of equal quality. Here's a glimpse behind the scenes at Delicious HQ earlier this month when editor Karen Barnes rang the winners. I wanted to let you know in person that your wonderful milk and low sizer barn are the winner of the primary dairy category in the Delicious Produce. Oh, that is wonderful news. Oh, that is so exciting. Fabulous. Fabulous. I'm so pleased. We brought some, some of the dry cows off the cell and we were sta I was standing in the middle of the road and it started to pour down. I was thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? <laughs> so that's really good news. That really makes it worth it. <laughs> what we do, it's like a craft. Even though we're milking 170 cows, it's it, that's what it's like. It's a it's labour of love, so it's really brilliant to be recognised for it. Thank you. Really? We were so impressed <laughs> by your, your fish. It's absolutely beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, my daughter's here with fear. She's kind of trying to read my mind and guessing who's on the phone. We, we won the Delicious Magazine Award. <laughs> All the judges on the final day tasted your wonderful ice cream and we were we thought it was incredible. Oh <laughs> that's just fantastic. We love your magazine. The judges were unanimous that your fantastic scallops were a standout. Oh, that's so great. We're so pleased. Thank you so much. I can't wait to tell Guy, my husband, he'll be completely thrilled. That's brilliant. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. We 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 saw we were delighted to be shortlisted. Well, we saw the other producers and cast. We thought, oh no, we haven't got a hope. But that's amazing. There will be a, a trophy coming to you in the post. Wow. Uh, thank you so much. I asked Susan Lowe what the Delicious Produce Awards will mean to the readers. Well, the readers we know are, are very very interested in how they buy the food, where the food comes from. They want to know that it comes from some or, or some place that means something to them. We do have readers all around the country and um, we, we get lots of letters celebrating you know, people that they've known about or people that are in their family who are food producers. I think it's going to mean a lot when people actually see the list and know that people that may, maybe they nominated or people who live near them actually made it through to the awards and maybe made it through and were a winner. I think that's going to be something that's really special throughout the country. I asked her why we need another awards. They're very much in line with, with the magazine. Um, they're probably not going to be the huge 
hugest, hugest awards in the world. And we don't want them to be. We want them to be something that's very, very special. It's not everyone who enters gets a prize. If you get a, a, an award, if you win a category award, or you get a highly commended, it really, really, really means something. And we're going to be covering all the people who win awards in the magazine throughout the year. So it's not a sort of a here today, gone tomorrow, we'll never hear from you again. It's a way of, of growing um, a network of, of people that we will look after and try to nourish. New Zealand chef Peter Gordon was one of the judges. I caught up with him in his restaurant, The Providors, in London's Marylebone High Street, to ask him how he thinks British food got to be so good. I'd say that the British tourist uh, is a great traveller. So they go everywhere and they kind of see a quality of food that appears in other parts of the world. And I say this because this was the same with New Zealanders as well. And uh, so people go travelling, their expectations are uh, increased, I think. The sort of younger generation have come through looking at some of the stuff that you find on the continent uh, that they want to reproduce here. And people are just more discerning. You know, there's been a rise in food television, which is, you know, drives some of us insane, but it's also quite good. And it, it allows the uh, consumer to be more knowledgeable. Uh, there are a huge amount of restaurants opening all the time, so the quality of food that people come to expect, expect is great. And then there are loads of food festivals all around the country. One of the big changes is that the British are proud of their food and the restaurants. It's more accessible, less expensive, less fussy. You don't need to make a big palaver about it. It's not like you're going to worship in the temple of food. You're going to actually have a nice time with your mates, spend some money, choose a wine or a beer or something that's affordable, and, uh, and then you'll have great nights out when you want to really be flash. Is it a London thing? I'd say that all around Britain, you go now, there are amazing pubs. Pubs in the old days, when I first came here, it used to be cheese and pickles and a pint of bitter or something, and, and that was a ploughman's lunch. Now you go to a country pubs and they might have, you know, some gorgeous game and seasoned lovely pies. And a lot of the young chefs who were training in London, they want to go back and open restaurants in Leeds or Manchester or, you know, wherever. And they, you know, because they can't afford to do it in London, so they go back, they increase the level of food. Peter is one of a number of Antipodean chefs who came to the UK in the late 80s with new and exciting ideas from the new world, which contributed to an explosion of taste in British food. I asked him where his ideas came from. For me personally, the reason I cook the food I do is I did an apprenticeship in Melbourne and I went through school John to Road, Mr Master Chef. I would go and eat in all these lovely little ethnic restaurants on, the, on my nights off and I'd have Japanese food or Moroccan food or, you know, northern Italian or something. And, but we, we weren't taught any of that at college. And for me, it was crazy. There's this amazing world of food and ingredients out there. And I've, I'm drawn to ingredients rather than cuisines, to be honest. Spent a year in Asia hitchhiking around. And I just, I just, you know, I was far more excited about some ear-dried squid that was dipped in chili sugar syrup and barbecued served with sticky rice than, than a buttery sauce served on poached meat. You know, just, it wasn't my thing. He thinks that the delicious awards are a timely reminder of what it's all about. Britain's always been creative in its fashion and its music and its art, but food was the sort of last bastion of you have to do what's traditional, you can't bend the rules. And actually what happened was that period in the late 80s, uh, everyone was breaking the rules. So I just remember having some beautiful figs and Parma ham at Alice Little's and just thinking, oh, this is heaven, but, but I hadn't had it that good before. The Delicious Podcast. Our own Phoebe Stone has been to meet Antonio Carluccio, his latest. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This book is simply titled Vegetables. He tells her how Italians have always thought it's all about the quality of the produce. The most important thing are the ingredients. When you have good ingredients, you don't need to do very much with it. They are just good by themselves, just sort of accentuate with one or two touches or something, but not cover it with uh, unnecessary other tastes and flavors. I like, for example, a tomato picked from the from the, the plant that still sort of has the perfume around. If you brush just the, the, the green of the tomato, it's a lovely flavor. And if you take the tomato and you put on a bruschetta with a bit just good olive oil and, and oh, and basil, that's just fantastic. Yeah. Italians seem to have that great culture where you go out and you know where your food comes from. Yes. And the you are learning. You are learning. It's uh, quite, quite, quite early. In, uh, uh, your mother, your father, they don't teach you, but you inadvertently learn show you automatically. Day because of the way uh, we are talking about food, the way we are eating it together, and uh, we are respecting the food. And, and so it remains impressed in your life. As in my case, I never learned directly from my mother, but I remembered everything that I was seeing. In the time where I was alone, and I wanted to have the food that my mother used to prepare, so I had to cook it. You're known for your expertise in mushrooms as well. What do you think of a new trend for foraging and sort of that coming to the UK a bit more? The UK, it's uh, the only country in Europe that starves on knowledge about uh, how to deal with mushrooms, with wild mushrooms. Any other European country has a sort of knowledge and the culture about it. You start already as a child to know about mushrooms, and you go with your parents or friends to go and pick mushrooms. So the, the expertise is there. Here it's a bit more difficult, although the mushrooms they are there, and in quantities as well. And the difference between a cultivated mushroom and a, and a sort of uh, wild one is it's quite, quite major. But even the good industry of good normal button mushroom, they are good as well. It's just the way you treat them. Mmm, delicious. 
Now, Antonio may be right about our foraging habits. We don't pick much except perhaps a basket full of blackberries once a year, and the Forestry Commission even wants to stop people picking mushrooms in some areas of the UK. But foragers say it's against ancient English rights, and according to small producer Jane Fairman, it's old Mother Nature who gives us what we need and when we need it, and she knows because she's a hedge witch. My philosophy is sort of bringing the countryside into the city. 3.5 billion people live in cities worldwide. Hedgewitch fine foraged foods is all made from what Jane picks up from the land. All the recipes are seasonal, so I'll have a shelf with a pesto and a tapenade, but that recipe from batch to batch will change depending on what's growing at what time of year. And I also do lots of cordials because in the summer, that's mostly what's around, sort of flowers. So obviously the South Downs elderflower cordial, but earlier in the season, wild cherry blossom, which has become my favourite, and that's got an almondy, blossomy cherry flavour, and that's that's the depth of flavours. And quite a lot of people buy them who don't drink because there's more depth of flavours, so you've got different flavours coming through. I did a small batch of rose and meadow sweet. What would you expect to find in late September? Yeah, late September, the the are still you know there's nettles you know all year round if you if you look carefully there is actually a lot of green that's still coming because quite often they've sort of died off and flowered and seeded and then start growing again she took me to the sussex village of piddinghoe to forage for sea beet and sea purslane on the banks of the flooded plains of the river ooze here is um, a tidal river and so it floods and it's salty so again it's the shoreline plant of the sea purslane samphire might still be there there's little bits and another succulent which um, is the monk's beard but also sea beet which is um, really really getting going again and that grows all through the winter it's the ancestor of sugar beet so we've used and evolved it for its root but its leaves are like a wild spinach some people call it and you can use that I put that in my pestos and tapenars all year round really ah oh, this is these are good patches these are the sea beet which again has flowered been cut down and now it's all regrowing again with all these luscious really shiny sp spinach shaped leaves but a lot thicker Mm. Um, so try that and that's you can you can tell that's healthy it just tastes of well when you say you can tell that's healthy <laughs> I mean you know you're a hedge witch you can do you feel instinctively that you know what to look for and what to eat that's why you do really need a, a, a book or to just go on a beginner's course because that's what we've lost is our knowledge and our confidence you know go to the beach and it's all rock pools and lots of different seaweeds they're all edible but most people would not even know that yeah. you know everyone thinks of um you know nori flakes you know the, the japanese but we have nori we have the green ulvers that i can pick and dry and we are beginning to do some seaweed farming as well, so it's maybe coming in as a bit of a British product, yes. which means that people are more likely, perhaps, to start looking for it themselves. How do you think that works? I mean, we've got more produce than we've ever had, or at least more people are aware of British yes. produce. Do you think foraging is the next big thing? 
People want local, they want different tastes. If you pick all the little wild um, herbs, they do have a a stronger flavour, they've got quite a bitterness, and people are missing bitter. Our food's got very bland. Mm. So the wildness, if you go and pick um, a load of leaves and put them in with your normal salad, you'll have something sort of out this world. I asked her what makes someone a hedge witch. In the old days, she had all the ancient knowledge, and people came to her, and we have well it's it's it, we have to learn it our way and yeah. we have to sort of start from scratch in a way is it a female thing no it isn't I think there's actually more men foraging from what I look at sort of blogs and um, sort of the internet and the chefs but the old crone the medicine woman yeah. um, who would live on the outskirts of the village and would go to and that's why the hedge witchery comes from is she would go to the wild bits that other people wouldn't go to you know something grown here we can look at the bushes over there they've got a beautiful red hue because of all the horse berries you know that's grown in the Sussex sunshine and they are far better for you than something that's been cultivated in a polytunnel in Spain delicious and finally in our produce special we sit down to eat the food from the Lebanon in a unique culinary experience in London's Waterloo Rebecca Crozier international alerts program manager for the Middle East and North Africa explains how her team came up with the idea for a conflict cafe it's about bringing people together around food um, it's an opportunity for people to break bread with each other uh, to learn more about the history of conflicts from the, the countries that we're discussing tonight and just an opportunity to meet new people uh, and have a dialogue I asked her why Lebanon well Lebanon is a country that's been affected by conflict for, for a long time. I think if you think Lebanon, you, you remember the Civil War from 1975 to 1990. And um, at the moment, it's in the news because of the Syria refugee crisis. So it's a country that faces a lot of problems, a lot of challenges at the moment. Uh, what we wanted to do was a little bit go behind the headlines. So to talk about the history of Lebanon, about culture, about its cuisine, and to offer people a, a positive take on the, the country. We're going to also talk later tonight about some of the peace building efforts that are going on inside Lebanon at the moment to help it cope with the refugee crisis that it's facing at the moment. So there'll be lots of bits of information for people as they go through their meal. Chef and broadcaster Allegra McEvity has been to Lebanon and is a big fan. Really I'm here at the International Conflict Cafe uh, because they are sending a message about how we can talk our way into peace and particularly over food and obviously peace and food, I'm all behind that. And you've been to Lebanon and you really love the place. Tell us a little bit about that first moment when you first arrived. I was sitting at the airport on the way out, really excited, because I've always loved the Middle East, but you know, I was so excited to be going, and I looked up and there was a news item on the, on the telly about how the tanks were rolling in as we spoke, and I was just like, wow, I didn't quite know what to expect, but anyway, we touched down and there was the, the, the amazing sound of uh, church bells and um, the call to prayer, and that really sums up Le- Lebanon. You know, Life people, goes on. Well, people living together in harmony, and what you found there was that the people actually, you talked to them about you know, the 20 years of civil war, 20 years past the Civil War, and they just just like, we're, we're over it. We just want to lead our lives. They were the most amazingly positive people. She's been helping Imad Hussein from the Leolina restaurants in Knightsbridge, who's in the kitchen tonight. Oh, the food's absolutely knockout. I mean, I haven't tasted Lebanese food like that since I was in Lebanon. I mean, he, you know, he cooks from the heart. And we've got some extraordinary falafel. We've all eaten falafel every day. Let me tell you, you've never tasted falafel like that. The kibbeh, I mean, the first person
person who came up with stuffing lamb mints with lamb mints. I was just like, that is genius. Um, yeah, and I had them in the Sukel Tayab, which is the first farmer's market in Beirut, in, in Lebanon. Um, and I had them there, and I was just like, they're amazing. But yeah, these are delicious. He's made an, some incredible tahini um, sauces. Um, I, I was cooking with him yesterday. I learned a good amount from him, um, but he did only let me chop. <laughs> 25 years since I was demoted to a commie. <laughs> Jay and Tim live around the corner and found the Conflict Cafe through the Grub Club website. My husband books these random pop-up things um, and I just show up. But this is interesting because it's one right around the corner from us. We've never been here. The venue is really unique and amazing and old and it has so much character and just outside the skate park and then here we are eating these amazing Lebanese food, learning about Lebanon and the whole conflict zone. It's just the atmosphere is great and um, yeah, it's really good experience. Check out Grub Club for news on more conflict cafe pop-ups at the House of Van. Rebecca tells us about the Sri Lanka night that's coming up. So next week we have Sri Lanka, so we have Sri Lankan cuisine, Sri Lankan chef, uh, and we're going to talk about, again, the history of conflict in Sri Lanka and some of the interesting things that have been going on since the conflict ended uh, to help Sri Lanka recover from that and to, to build peace that's going to last for the long term. Before we go, a word from editor Corin Barnes on what else is in the October edition of Delicious magazine. The October edition is one of my favourite issues of the year because it's a change of season. And I think when, when the mood changes, you start to want to eat something different. You want to put on your jumper and dig out your scarf. And it's about spending a bit more time at home, perhaps. We have a lovely feature with Susie Atkins, who's our wonderful drinks editor. She actually lives in Devon. And every year, her village, they get together and they all bring the harvest from their fields, their gardens, whatever they have round and about. They get together and they cook a whole feast for the village and it's not profit making, it's about celebrating the abundance of what's around and just having a community moment where people sit down and eat great food. But from what I can see, part of the a lot of the joy of it is the preparation and the planning and the cooking, people being flowers from their gardens and, and everyone's invited, nobody's excluded. And we asked them to share their recipes, which we have then tested in the test kitchen and photographed in this October issue. It's very good. I will just mention slow gin syrup on a crumble <laughs> to tempt you. And that's it from the October edition of the Delicious Magazine podcast. You can find out more about all things delicious by going to the website, deliciousmagazine.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with any of your ideas, do give us a call. 0203 868 1919 or you can email readers at deliciousmagazine.co.uk See you next month. Mm, delicious. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 